All right, let's take our Bibles today. Turn over, if you would, to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 8 tonight, verse 8. <clears throat> Again, we're glad you're here, and uh, trust that before you leave, you'll be glad you're here too. I'm already glad I'm here. I, the choir did a great job, and I enjoyed that special. I heard it twice already today. I was back in the back getting ready for tonight, and I heard the ladies practicing it, and I thought, boy, that's sounding good, and uh, I enjoy that. That's good harmony and just a great message. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 8. And then we're going to read through verse 20. The Bible says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and glory, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. They came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things, and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. As it was told unto them. <clears throat> in this particular passage, we uh, get an opportunity to read about the shepherds. You know, there's a lot of different characters in the Christmas story, if you will, or Christmas account. You know, we have the wise men, and we have Mary, we have Joseph, we have Jesus himself. We have the <clears throat> just a, a number of people, Ze uh, Zachariah and his wife, and just that whole situation there and so many opportunities to glean and grow from the, the, the passages. But tonight, <clears throat> I, I want to touch on, I guess, or look at these shepherds. A lot of times they kind of get lost in the shuffle. They're part of, but they're not the main point. And tonight I want to use them as the main thing. I want to preach a message I've just basically entitled, May We Like the Shepherds. May we like the shepherds. And so I'm going to take just a moment to pray. And then we're going to look at this passage. We're going to break it down a little bit. And we're going to see what we can learn. And we need to be more like these shepherds. And we're going to give, I'm going to give you three ways we need to be like the shepherds. And so we'll look at it tonight. Won't take too long, I don't believe. And we'll move right along this evening. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. Thanking you again for the opportunity that we have to gather here tonight. May you bless now, Father. You protect and watch over myself. May you fill me with your spirit. And may you be with every listening ear. May we hear with spiritual ears tonight. Not just those that you gave us physically. But those that we, Father, received the day that we trusted you. Help us, Father, to be open to your leadership and your love. Bless us, encourage us, and strengthen us. And prepare us for, Father, the days ahead. 
We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. May we like the shepherds. First of all, may we like the shepherds be found in our place. Be found in our place. Notice it says in chapter uh, 2, verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And it goes all the way through verse 14, as the angels speak to them, and they receive from the angels and so forth. And so when I look at the passage, I think to myself, they were found in their place. They were where they belong. And you may say specifically, tell us, what was their place? Well, let me give you a couple things. First of all, it was a place they could be found. That's the first thing. It was a place they could be found. In verse 8 and 9 again, they were keeping watch over their flock by night. And the Bible says, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. They were shepherds, right? Therefore, they should be shepherding. And that's exactly what they were doing that evening. And, you know, in the same way, you and I, uh, we need to be where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there too. You and I don't need to be places where we can't be found. We shouldn't be places we can't be found. Somebody ought to know where we're at. We need to be where we're supposed to be. A husband says, well, my wife, I I rule the roost. I'm in charge of things. I don't have to answer to her. You don't. Oh, you don't have any accountability? Who do you think you are? Well, she don't have any right asking me where I'm at. You're a fool. See, you're only asking for trouble. And it's the same thing with the wife. The wife has no, oh, well, I'm a grown woman. I don't need him looking over my shoulder. He has no right to know where I'm at all the time. Are you crazy? Since when do we as believers or anybody as an individual go about doing things our way without any accountability? Hey, listen, you want some safety in your life. You want a safety net to catch you if you fall. Guess what? It's good to know where, it's good for people to know where you're at. I get a little bit tired of that independence in marriage. There's no independence in marriage. Where'd that come from? It's not biblical. We certainly are wise to things. We understand that there are situations. I don't have to tell you what I'm doing every minute. I think one of the most ridiculous things in the world is for a wife to call her husband while she's working. He's working. Let him do his job. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Let him do his work. He should not be bothered by you when he's at work. You know where he's at. He's safe. He's fine. And guys, why would you call your wife at Taco Bell when she's putting out an order and saying, can I talk to my wife? Uh, Honey, what do you need? Is it an emergency? Just wondering, uh, where's that mac and cheese at? What? Come on now. I mean, use some wisdom there. I mean, but we do have a right to know where one another is. There's no doubt about that. Now listen, I, I don't need to be in places where I can't be found. You don't need to be in places you can't be found. Somebody ought to know where we're at. You know what? You shouldn't be somewhere on the internet that nobody knows where you're at. It's as simple as that. I mean, if you're in places on that Internet that your wife doesn't know about or nobody else knows about, then guess what? You probably shouldn't be there. It's that simple. You shouldn't be surfing unsupervised. You shouldn't be speaking to someone without others knowing it. Get in these chat rooms and we're talking to old flames from high school. That's dangerous. Well, I'm just curious what he looks like now. 
I'm just curious what she looks like now. You know what? I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm intrigued by that stuff. I like it. Someone says, uh, <clears throat> hey, I saw so-and-so the damn thing. I wonder what she looks like. I'm, not, I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, I grew up in high school, man. I remember when I, before I got married, I liked looking at girls. Enough, obviously, they like looking at me. <clears throat> but the fact was is that I, I think to myself, I wonder what she looks like. I wonder if she's gained weight. I wonder if she's, you know, well, you know, I think those things. No, you don't. You would never think that stuff. <clears throat> but you know how dangerous it is to start going there? Especially if you're not, oh, well, I don't want my wife to know I was checking that, you know, seeing what she looks like now. You better be careful with that kind of secretive stuff. Somebody better know where you're at, sir. Somebody better know where you're at, man. It's important you need to be very careful with that stuff. So if you feel you need to hide something or your whereabouts or whatever it might be, then guess what? You're not in your place. That's not your place. Their place was a place they could be found. <clears throat> Number uh, B under that, their place was a place they could be encouraged. In verse 10, the Bible goes on to say, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That's a pretty encouraging statement. They were in their place, and they were in a place of encouragement. <clears throat> Former heavyweight boxer James Quick Tillis was a cowboy from Oklahoma, and he fought out in Chicago in the early 1980s. He still remembers his first day in the Windy City after arriving from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He said, I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago, stopped in front of the Sears Tower, I put my suitcases down, I looked up at the tower, and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. When I looked down, the suitcases were gone. <clears throat> so I looked down, the suitcases were gone. I want you to know that there are forces trying to discourage you. It doesn't matter where you go in life. It doesn't matter if it's the house of God. There's going to be things that the devil will use to discourage you. You know, discouragement is an, at, a, at an epidemic proportion, it seems to me today. People are so discouraged, so down, and so so uh, just down in the dumps. I, I, I feel for folks, and yet the truth is, is that we need to be in our place. And if we're in our place, if we're where we're supposed to be, then guess what? We're in a place where God can encourage us. <clears throat> be in your place, you'll find encouragement. They were in a place... They could be instructed. They could be instructed. In verse 11, the Bible says, The angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They were instructed that day. Guess what? You, there's the Messiah. He's been born. I'm going to tell you some things. You better listen closely, you shepherds. Listen, Jesus Christ is Messiah. He's been born today. Man, that's amazing. Some good teaching. You come to God's house and you get some instruction. You get some encouragement. You're in your place. It's a good thing. We learn the greatest lessons when we are in our place. Romans 16, 19 says, For your obedience is come abroad to all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. You know, it isn't always how much we learn that's really important. It's what we learn. <clears throat> We're big into learning things. Well, remember those Athenians there in chapter 17, I believe, of Acts, when 
uh, Paul rolls into town, he said that they, they were about always learning something new. Wanting to learn something new, but they weren't any wiser for it. As a matter of fact, they were actually more foolish. Professing themselves to be wise, they had become fools. And the truth is we can learn a bunch of things, but if we're not learning the right things, we got a real problem. And we have to be so careful. Again, when we are not in our place, we are very capable and often prone to learning the wrong things. Have you ever learned something wrong? Have you ever been in a place where it's not really your place and you saw something, read something, experienced something that you know was wrong? You went to that party you knew you shouldn't have went to and you did something you knew you shouldn't do and you learned evil and you knew you shouldn't have. You got on the internet and you weren't in your place. The wife didn't know. Kids didn't know. God did know. But you learned things you should not have learned. See, when you're in your place, you learn the right things. When you're not in your place, you learn the wrong things. And being in our place ensures that we're instructed in the right things. So these particular shepherds, they were found in their place, a place that they could be found, first of all, a place they could be encouraged and be instructed, and also a place they could be directed. In verse 12, the Bible tells us, it says, And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You want to find him? Here's how you find him. Let me give you some directions. This is what you're going to see. This is where you're going to find it. Listen, they're given some direction here. The Bible tells us God gives us direction in Psalm chapter 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. God wants to order your steps. He wants to order mine. But you have to be in your place. Guess what? This is a good place to have your steps ordered by the Lord. You could be a lot of places. We could be bowling tonight. We could be watching a movie out at the the movie house tonight. We could be doing a lot of things tonight except being in church, and yet you have chosen to be in your place, and as a result, you're going to be instructed, you're going to be directed, you're going to be encouraged, and you're going to get exactly what God wanted for you. Not only that, but they were in a place they could be inspired Verse 13 and 14 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men, toward men. I don't know about you, but that would have been an exciting moment in history. <clears throat> I mean, can you imagine that? Here's an angel speaking to you, and next thing you know, the heavenly host pops out and says, Woo, woo! I mean, it would have been unbelievable. You know what I mean? It would have been unbelievable. That would have been so awe-striking, so inspiring to me. Wow, amazing. These men were in their place. They could be found in in their place. And because of that, they could be encouraged, directed, instructed. They could be inspired. I don't know if you believe the way I believe things, but I believe that the house of God and the worshiping God is, is truly where I need to be. I need that. It's important. You know, 
in Scripture there are examples of people who could not be found in their place? Let me give you just a couple of them. First of all, we know without a doubt, we almost beat it like a dead horse, but David was not where he was supposed to be. He wasn't in his place. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 11:1, and it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servant with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Wait a second. I thought that was the time when kings go forth to battle. David didn't go. And we all know how that ended up. Bad. Why? Because he wasn't found in his place. Why? Because he could no longer be encouraged, instructed, directed, and ultimately inspired. See, when you step outside of where you ought to be and you're not in your place, then listen, you forfeit many of the privileges and the blessings that God has for you. So do I. Not only David was not in his place, but Elimelech and Naomi, they weren't in their place. Over there in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. He left the house of bread, Bethlehem, to go to Moab, Gentiles. What, what's he doing in Moab? Well, obviously, he's concerned about the famine, and he somehow believes and feels that in order to provide for his family, he must leave God's house. Never heard that story before, have we? It still happens today. But nonetheless, this man left the house of God, the house of bread, and he goes off into the Gentile land, takes his family with him. He was no longer where he belonged, or in his place, and the Bible says, and the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Mahlon and Chilion, Euphrates of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. They remained there. They got caught up there. You know, you step outside of where you're supposed to be. You get outside of, you're no longer in your place. It's easy to stay a while. It gets comfortable It's not hard to fall out of church and stay out of church. When you get out of church, it's easy to stay out of it. Don't think for a minute any one of us couldn't be out of church. We could. Oh, that would never happen to you. That would never happen to her. That never happened to... Oh, yeah, it could very well happen. And it's easier to stay out than it is to get out even. Once you're out, though... It's easy to stay. Be very careful. David, Elimelech, neither one were found in their place. And as a result of that, we know how it ends. Elimelech dies. The two sons die. And here we have Ruth now fending for herself. Now we come to another one. I think of the young prophet expressed in the word of God in 1 Kings chapter 13, 14 through 24. We don't have time to read it all. But the man of God, this young man, was told to go deliver a message to Jeroboam, the king of Israel. So he journeys into Bethel, where there he makes this, this uh, uh, um, he shares this information with the king. Ultimately, he's traveling along through Bethel, and another prophet, an older prophet this time, 
uh, uh, in age at least, says, hey, listen, listen, God told me that you need to come eat with me. God told me you need to rest with me. But the problem was God had already told the young man, don't you dare go back the way you came and don't eat, stop to eat, drink or anything with anybody else. Just get about your business. I think because he didn't want him to hang around in Bethel. He wanted to get back where he belonged in his place. And he had him on a journey, but he didn't want him to stay. Guess what? It doesn't matter how careful you are. You will be tempted to stay when you step outside of your place or when God sends you somewhere that's surrounded with evil. It's tough. It's difficult. That's why it's important to go two by two soul winning. But nonetheless, here this young prophet is. He's not permitted to eat or drink or with anyone or travel the direction that he'd just come from. The older man of God, the prophet, convinces this young guy that God has changed his mind. God said, you can come to my house. God said, you can eat with me. God said, you can spend time with me. So the young man goes, well, I guess you're an older man of God. You obviously have some wisdom. You know what you're talking about. I'll follow you. I'll do what you say. He gets there and finds out later (laughs) that God didn't change his mind at all. Before it's over with, he's laying on the side of the road eaten up by a lion and uh, the prophet could care less. I'm going to tell you something. He wasn't in his place. He wasn't obeying the Lord. He wasn't where God wanted him and it cost him something. His very life. Listen, there are examples throughout Scripture of those who were not found in their place. The, The shepherds teach us that we need to be found in our place. May we like the shepherds be found in our place. Number two, number two, may we like the shepherds be faithful in our pursuit. Be faithful in our pursuit. Now, in verse 15 and 16, we find there that the Bible says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. We'll stop right there because what we find there in this particular passage is their hunger. Their hunger. Again, it's interesting to note that they were told about this. Now they're saying, we got to go see this for ourselves. I'm not satisfied just hearing about it. I want to see it. I want to experience it. Man, they had a hunger. Faithful in our pursuit, they had a hunger. We ought to be hungry for some things too. We ought to be hungry for Christ like they were hungry to see Christ. We ought to be hungry for the Word of God like they were hungry for the Word of God. You can't separate Christ and the Word. So as they head out, they're excited. They're hungry to see Jesus Christ, to meet with Messiah. And guess what? We ought to be hungry for that. In Philippians 3.10, the apostle says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. In Matthew 5, 6, the Bible says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Psalm chapter 19, verse 10 says, More to be desired are they than gold, talking about the word of God, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. There ought to be a desire, a hunger, a thirst for Jesus Christ and his word. And there ought to be, a, there, there ought to be as we've said already, We ought to be faithful in our pursuit. Faithful in our pursuit. Not only do we see their hunger, but we also note in verse 16 their haste. It says, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Man, they didn't wait around. Man, when they got this news from this angelic host, 
They, 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 they just got with the program. They were hungry to see Christ. They were hungry to be in his presence. And they just did it right now. They didn't wait around. They didn't gather up supplies to our knowledge. They just, with haste, took off. They didn't take their time moseying along, enjoying the stars and, and, and just having a good time on the way, just casually making their trip there to Bethlehem. No, these made their way in haste. They were excited. They were anxious. They were in a hurry. And you know what? Sadly enough, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not always in a hurry to get to God's Word. We're not always in a hurry to get on our knees in prayer. We're not always in a hurry to get in the very presence of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, if we honestly want to succeed and have victory in our lives, we better, with haste, get into the presence of God. We see their hunger and their haste. Again, may we like the shepherds. Be faithful in our pursuit. Not only that, but finally, may we like the shepherds be fearless in our praise. Be fearless in our praise. Now, they rehearsed what they had experienced. If you notice verse 17 through 19, the Bible says, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Again, when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now again, here they are. They head over there to see the babe. They run into Mary, Joseph, and little baby Jesus. And they begin to tell exactly what the angels had said to them. Let me rehearse for you what they shared with us. And so they began to share that news. Not only that, but we notice from the passage that they returned where they had come from. And I think that's important. Notice verse 20, the, the A there. It says, and the shepherds returned. The shepherds returned. And it goes on to say, glorifying, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. But they returned. Where'd they return to? Where they had left. They went, they met the master they saw Jesus Christ. They experienced His presence. Then they returned where they had come from. Now listen, that's important because we see evidence of that and examples of that in the maniac of Gadara. Take your Bible, look over to Mark chapter 5, verse 18. Mark chapter 5, verse 18. Notice what the Bible tells us or teaches us here. Uh, interestingly, it, it speaks of this particular situation here. In verse 18 through 20, it says, And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Now remember that when they arrived originally, this particular person was a madman, crazy man. He's running around naked. He's cutting himself. He's crying out in the, in the tombs. I mean, the, uh, obviously, he's an outcast. He's trying, he can't be bound by chains or fetters. I mean, this guy is a madman. He is out of his mind. Before it's all said and done, he's sitting beside the Lord Jesus Christ, clothed and in his right mind. Now, Jesus has to leave. He's got a mission to perform. He can't stick around forever. 
So he begins to, he gets into the ship, he gets prepared to leave, and next thing you know, this particular man, who was or had been possessed with the devil, speaks up and says, can I be with you? Can I travel with you? Can I be one of your disciples, not just a disciple, but literally one of the disciples? Notice what the passage teaches now, verse 19. Howbeit, verse 19, Jesus suffered him not. But saith unto him, Go home to thy friends. Tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. And hath had and, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Now again, we see a parallel here. These shepherds, the Bible says that they returned. What they returned to? Back home. They had met with the master. But they returned. And guess what? When you got saved, you had to leave where you are, and go to Christ. I know Christ came to earth, grabbed us where we were, but there's a part where you come to the cross of Christ and you leave the muck and the mire of the world and you step into his world, so to speak, and say, Lord, I'm not going to travel that path anymore. I am yours and you are mine. But then Jesus says, now return. Go back home. You know, a lot of Christians tried at that point to totally and completely separate themselves from everyone and anything that they had any association with. Sometimes that's important if you've been steeped in sin and you really are struggling with fighting with that particular sin. But what I think is sometimes a mistake is when Christians do not continue to try to reach out to their family, their friends, where they live. God never expected you, nor did he want you and I to sit there and say to the world, too bad, I've got the Lord, I'm going to be with him, I have no time for any of you. That's not what God says. You can go to church and have time for your family. You read your Bible and pray and have time for your family. You can go out soul winning and have time for your family. You can be involved in the house of God and have time for your family. You don't have to neglect your family in order to follow Jesus Christ. That's never been an issue with God. It's never been a, par, a, a, a factor. But let me say this. When you get saved, you need to go back home. You need to go back to mom and dad and brother and sister. You need to go back to aunt and uncle and grandma and grandpa and say, Hey, listen, I got saved. I met Jesus. Here's what he did for me. There ought to be a visible change in your outward life that ultimately draws them to you. And there ought to be this, this presence and this different look in your eye that says there's something different about their heart and their attitude. They returned where they had come from. But not only that, they rejoiced over what they had heard and seen. They rejoiced over what they had heard and seen. Oh, by the way, I've got to mention this. Concerning the fact of return where they had come from, I think it's important to realize that if we can't be effective where we come from, we will not be effective where we're going. I want you to understand that, okay? You need to realize that. 
I've been surprised how many missionaries that I've talked to through the years who while on deputation have painted this amazing picture of a thriving ministry on the field with souls being saved, lives being changed, victories abounding, only to fumble over the question, how many souls have you led to Christ this year? Uh, um, what do you mean like in... What, what exactly are you asking? Well, how many souls have you led to Christ? I mean, how many people have you opened your Bible and showed them how to be saved and they said, praise the Lord, I need that. Well, uh, I got to lead somebody to uh, one of the boys in Sunday school. I said, no, 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 I'm not talking about Sunday school where they come to you. I'm just kind of curious, have you led anybody to Christ this year? In the last year, have you done that? You'd be amazed how many haven't. And yet they've got these amazing, amazing expectations about how wonderful the field's going to be, how many souls are going to be saved when they arrive, how people are just going to fall on their knees when they hear their gospel preaching. But they haven't even led a soul to Christ where they live. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong. You say, yeah, well, Noah, he preached for 120 years and didn't see a convert. Okay, well, when you start building an ark, I'll give you a pass. When God puts, a, put, puts the word out that he's going to destroy the world by water again, which he already promised he wouldn't, well, then maybe we'll give you a pass. But I'm going to tell you something. There are still people looking to be saved out there. Oh, it may not be like it was in 1950 or 60. I'm not going to argue with people about it. But I do know one thing. People still need Christ and are willing to receive and accept Him. If we're not busy where we're at, we're being rather presumptuous to assume that we're going to be successful somewhere else. The Lord always seems to be telling people, return. Go back and make an impact there where you live. Make it there first. And we'll go from there. They said, that's the hardest place. Well, you can look at it that way, or you can look at it like Jesus does, because your life will change so drastically and dramatically. It should be the easiest place to convince people that he is real. The problem is we want to live like we used to live and then we say it's not going to work because people just don't want to listen to me. You don't have to say a word and I'm not all about you know lifestyle evangelism but let me tell you there is no evangelism without a life back in it. You need both. I'll guarantee you when the maniac showed up in his hometown again there was nobody I think there was nobody going, ah, oh, you're a jerk. Get out of my face. What are you? They didn't have to. They're just looking at him going, look at him. Look, look, look at the difference. What's, they're probably like, hey, what happened to him? Hey, what, what happened? You ask him. I'm not asking him. He might go off on you. Somebody gets the courage. They walk up to him. They're like, excuse me, excuse me. <clears throat> What's different? What happened to you? He looks up. He's like, I met Jesus. I met him. You won't believe how he changed my life. And they're going, 
Oh, yeah, we do. Oh, yeah, we believe. Tell me more about this Jesus. Before it's over with, they're receiving him because of the change they see in him. They're at home, fearless, fearless in our praise. They rehearsed what they had experienced. They returned where they had come from. And finally, they rejoiced over what they had heard and seen. In verse 20 again, the latter part of that verse, the Bible says, it says, uh, let's see, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Over what they'd heard and seen. How important is it for you and I to share what we have heard and seen? How important is that? You, you know, <clears throat> sadly enough, many Christians take the same attitude that lost people do when it comes to this issue of their faith. I believe my faith is very private. It's very private. It's between me and God. Your relationship is between you and Him, but there's nothing supposed to be private about that. You ought to be sharing what you see and hear. Oh, I'm not saying that you have to share everything that goes on in your that secret place. I'm not saying you have to share every prayer request and that you have to be telling people how you wept or how you mourned or how God was gripping your heart. And No, there are some things that are private in a relationship. But let me tell you something. you got a good marriage. You're quick to tell somebody to get married. Man, you're going to love it. Marriage is awesome. It's the greatest. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Let me tell you, it's nice coming home to have somebody there waiting for you. It's nice to have somebody put your arms around. It's awesome to be able to kiss and smooch. It's good stuff. And that is, it's awesome. But let me tell you something. When it, comes, when it comes to Jesus Christ, in our relationship, if we're not careful, we keep it to ourselves. And he says to them, he says, listen, the, the shepherds, they, they went, they left, they returned. But when they did, man, they didn't just return. They were glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. What have you heard and seen lately? What have you heard and seen? You know, I guess maybe to our shame, when we first got saved, it was a little easier because we had heard and seen some things. But if we're not careful and diligent along the journey, we stop seeing and hearing things. Well, that's a sad place to be, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a wise person that recognizes that in their life. That evaluates their heart and their soul and comes to the conclusion that I'm getting a little stale. It's becoming a little bit too mechanical. It's a wise person that recognizes that. I think we're foolish to always believe somehow that our relationship's always fresh, that there's never any ups and downs, there's never any concerns here or there, that we never have to worry about. Our, my relationships with Jesus is good. I've been doing the same thing the same way for the last 20 years. Nothing's changed, and God's just pouring them out left and right all the time. I don't know about you, but I, I do think that 
the spiritual life, kind of like the physical life, kind of has a little bit of an ebb and flow. I do believe that we can read our Bible and not really be engaged. I believe that we can pray and be merely going through a list. And I mean that if you've ever read any of the the great men and women of God through the years, they were always concerned that it would become rote, that it would become just mere mechanics. They wanted it to be fresh and they wanted it to be sweet, so they never took for granted that relationship. They always worked at it. And so we need to be very careful to evaluate and to search our hearts and to ask God to reveal things or coldness that may be setting in in certain areas of our life. Because we're so quick to just, if we're not careful, assume I'm still in church. I read my Bible and I pray, so I'm right with God. But doing is not the most important thing to God. Being is. And when God looks at our being, He looks further and deeper than the outside. He looks way down here in our heart and in our minds. They rejoiced over what they had heard and seen. John's in prison. And he sends his disciples to confirm Christ's identity. Note what Jesus tells them to share. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 through 5. Again, John the Baptist has been cast into prison. It must have been a very difficult time in his life. He goes from baptizing Christ and seeing the dove, hearing the voice, to now sending disciples to the Lord Himself, seeking confirmation, Christ's identity. Matthew 11, verse 2 through 5. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Again, he had heard about miracles, the works of Christ. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and shew John again those things which ye do here and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. You go and tell John, go and show John the things which you do here and see. That's what God demands of all of us. Go to the saved and lost alike and share with them what we have seen and heard. We have to make sure that we are seeing and hearing them. That's why it's important that we're in God's house. That's why it's important that we're on our knees in prayer. That's why it's so important that we are in the presence of Christ daily, regularly, faithfully, consistently, because if we have nothing to see and hear, we have nothing to share. Remember, in our Go rallies, We've mentioned this a few times along the way, but during our fall campaign, people were out knocking doors. Thousands of doors being hit 
Every Saturday when we opened it up for testimony, hands went up all over the room. Expressing and sharing what they had seen and heard God do. But then, a few weeks go by and people aren't going anymore. Or if they are, it's very little. Maybe a visit or two. Testimony time. Anybody? Anybody? Brother Kavanaugh is going to get up and preach for 25 minutes. You better have something or you're going to get it. The hands all go up. No, I'm joking. <clears throat> but you know what? That's just proof positive when the believer sees and hears something. They are quick, usually, to want to share it. When there's no hands for testimony, it is proof positive that there's not a lot being seen and heard. We must ensure that we are in a place with God that we can see and hear some things. That we're involved in the work as we ought to be so we can see and hear some things. See, may we, like the shepherds, be found in our place be faithful in our pursuit, and be fearless in our praise. Our place is in worship, in the house of God. Our pursuit ought to be Christ and the Word of God. And our praise should be found in the work or service of God. There's so much to praise God for in the work as we are involved in His ministry. May God help us. May we, like, be, may we like the shepherds be these things and so much more. I'm glad I got a chance to look over them shepherds here recently. Boy, there's so much we can learn from them. Lowly shepherds. Socially, they weren't a whole lot. Economically, they didn't have a whole lot. But boy, they sure saw and heard a whole lot. May we like the shepherds. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity that we have had to gather here today. And we do pray, Lord, that you would just meet with us tonight. Father, uh, through the word and through just the spirit of God speaking, help us, Lord. May, may we, like those shepherds, be found in our place. May we be faithful in our pursuit. May we be fearless in our praise, Lord. May we not allow people to steal Father, the words out of our mouth, may we be quick to share what you have done both in our life and the lives of others and in the house of God and the church and the ministry that you've given us. Lord, help us, Father, we pray to be like those shepherds. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for it. Maybe there's somebody here that's lost without Christ today. Lord, it would be a, such a shame for them to leave here without you. Holy Spirit of God, convict them of sin. We may not have discussed or talked specifically about salvation, but Lord, it's funny... It's interesting, it's amazing how you'll take a message like this and then you will just drive home that need for Christ in their life. 